0: My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that His Word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of His Word would point you to Him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. You know we're going to continue on our series in in uh, Hebrews. We've been going through that the last couple of weeks, and if you hadn't been here, if you have your Bibles, just go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews. I just give you a little uh, little um, little information to kind of keep you up to sp- get you up to speed. If you have not been around, Hebrews is one of those books that uh, first of all we don't know the author of, we don't know exactly who wrote it, but it's in the Bible. It is in the Bible, and we believe it to be for us. And what we do know that it was written to believers, a small group of believers, Jewish believers, hence the name Hebrews, and, and, and it was written to encourage, to warn, to strengthen because what was going on at the time is this, is this is, you know, some years after Jesus had died was resurrected and ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit had been poured out but persecution was starting to come upon these believers. And so this letter we find is written it's written in a way like a like a a a pastor writing a sermon. That's what Keith calls it. I like to call it like a preacher preaching a sermon because that's the way I look at it, you know what? As I walk through it, it's just like a preacher. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 3. We're going to pick up the story in chapter 3 and I pray this this morning as a result, we're going to come up we're going to come away with at least three things. Three things that we can be on the lookout for. Three things that we can be on the lookout for that will allow us to wholeheartedly, with with no hesitation, recite what you see the title of this sermon is. Jesus, believe in him. Jesus, believe in him. So let's get started. This unknown preacher whoever he was, or, he, or whoever she was. We don't know if it's he or she. She confronts, he, they confront this, this, this group of believers. And they confront them, and we're going to pick up in verse 2. The first verse is kind of an introduction, and here we do have an introduction. But listen to what the way he starts in this chapter, this sermon out of the series. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful, faithful in all God's house, Jesus was found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Pause right there. Okay, what's going on here? You know, in previous chapters, you know, he talked about the, the superiority and the supremacy of Jesus and, com- and and kind of did a comparison with the angels and even did do a contrast to how he came down in his humanity, came to where we were. But here we pick up this narrative, and, he, and he's doing a comparison with, of all people, Moses. Now for us, we may not feel real connected to that, but to the audience that he was talking to, this struck right to the heart. Because Moses, to them in that time, was the man. You got to remember, this new covenant this new way was relatively new, and the persecution had started. They were on the verge of turning and going back to what they used to do, what they knew. And have you ever, maybe not, you know, I don't think none of y'all have had this experience before, but sometimes when times get hard, you turn and go back to what you know. And this is what they were on the verge of. They were on the verge of, and this, 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 this Hebrews, this book was written to them. Not only to encourage, but to warn them of where they may fall short. Here he's doing a comparison between Moses, Moses, the one who bought the children of Israel out of Egypt, the one that they held near and dear. You know, they told the stories, they knew the stories, they repeated them to their children. But then he goes on further and he doesn't and he stops comparing and he begins to contrast because he's building a case he's building a case for them to know that yes you follow Moses but there's one greater now. So we pick it up here where it says Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Get that now. Look at it closely. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. But he's telling these people that Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. So he's making a case. And just when you think, okay, everything peachy cream, they got it, everything cool, he shifts dramatically in the very next verse. And this is where I think we're going to spend the meat of our time here in ver- from verse 7 to about verse 11. But we want to begin and we want to look for these warnings that begin to emerge. The first warning, the first warning that we're going to see is a warning to be attentive. Attentive. Would you say that word with me? Attentive. A warning to be attentive. We're going to look at the very first verse in, this, in this, this passage that actually came from the Old Testament, verse number seven. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, he had just got through making the case for Jesus, for Christ, even greater than Moses, even greater than the angels, yet came down and, and, and humbled himself to be here with us. He had just got through making a case for that, but then he goes right in and says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice. Now, I know I'm, I'm treading on, on a little treacherous ground here. I don't want to be accused of taking something out of context, but I think we need to look at that real carefully because there's a sermon in that just by itself. Look at it. Today, if you hear his voice. That today sounds emphatic to me. It sounds urgent to me. And and, and coupled with that is the writer lets us know that the Holy Spirit is at work here. These words are just not his words. These words have been given to him by the Holy Spirit. Because he prefaces it with saying, so as the Holy Spirit says... So it's no longer the writer of Hebrews' words, but it's actual spirit of the living God speaking through him to them and to us today. That today, if you hear his voice, today, someone greater than Moses is speaking. Today, just by the terms, just by the tense and the way it's written, today, if you hear his voice, I believe that he's expecting for us to respond. Today, I believe that it starts like this because the writer knew something about these people and the Holy Spirit knows something about all of us. And that something is simply this. We humans have a tendency to delay. We humans have a tendency to procrastinate, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. What what am I talking about? I'm talking about when you know, when you know, when you you know that you know that you know that you know that God, either through his word or through wise counsel with someone else or just the Holy Spirit nudging you, is pointing you in a direction. I know I have at times. said, I think I'll save that for another day. I think i wait until everything kind of comes together. Oh, I, I need to get a little bit more money. I need to get a little bit more, a couple of relationships settled. And I'm putting it off. I think the writer understood this, not only about his audience at the time, but the Holy Spirit understands it about us today. But that word today, it's something about that word today. As a matter of fact, the writer uses it three times in this chapter. There it is in verse 7. You'll see it in verse 13. You'll see it in verse 14. It's something about that word today. It's, 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 it's like there's an urgency to it. What, what, what do you mean? Is it a 24-hour time period? I don't, I don't, you know, maybe so. But I believe it's another, I believe it's even more It's it's more important than that. I believe that we can easily substitute or use the word now where that word today is. Now. It refers to the present moment in time. As, As we are listening and as you are thinking, as the Holy Spirit is moving, I wonder if anybody in here has a sense like I have. I have a very vivid image, even while I'm talking to you, of the very thing that God has been nudging me to do for so long that I put off, and I put off, and I put off. Today, now. You know, Paul knew something about this. I remember as he wrote in the book of 2 Corinthians, 6 chapter. He was talking about reconciliation and how God desires for us to be reconciled unto him. And down at the sixth sixth chapter, about the second verse, we hear these words. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. When is it? When is it? Now. Come on, y'all. When is it? Now. now. Yes, yes, baby. Now. <laughs> now. Somebody got it back there. You know, you know, we did this first service, and, and I, I believe it's appropriate to do it this service as well. I was sharing with them in the first service that there have been times when I've talked with people over the years and we've talked about service and, you know, well, you know we always kind of come out of service and say, oh, man, I wish, I wish. And one of the things that have come up a lot of times when I'm talking with people, is says, you know, we've got this habit, we've got this routine, we've got this pattern that we've fallen into in, the Ameri- in church. You know, we come in, we sing some worship songs, and, you know, then the preacher starts preaching and hopefully he don't go too long. And, I, you know, and then at the end, we we'll all make a, you know, it's time to respond. Somebody asked me one day, so why do we wait to the end? Why not now? Why not right now? You know, I know that there's some people that walked in this building today. You walked in here last week too. And there's something pressing on you that you've been wrestling with, that you've been trying to get clarity about, and God has been speaking to you. You've read it, people have said it to you, you can sense it, but see, what we do, because this is what I do, okay, 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 I know what's going to happen, you see, if I just wait, it'll pass, and I can just put it off to another day, but what if we did it right now? What if we responded right now? I know everybody may not have anything, but I know there's somebody that does. Would you pray with me? Father, we're going to take the unusual path, and we're going to stop right here. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to quiet our hearts. And Father, we're going to ask a couple of questions. First of all, maybe there's somebody in here that has never said yes to you. They've been in church, they've come to this church, they've been in other churches. They've got people in their family that are in church and, and they've gone around. But you know, they know right now that really deep in their heart, they realize they've never said yes to you. Father, with all eyes closed and heads bowed, Father, we just honor them as they raise their hand right now to acknowledge that yes, that's me. I've never I've never asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. Hmm. And right behind that, while we have our eyes closed and our heads bowed, Father, for the person who has been struggling with. Something in life, I I, I don't know what it is, and Father, I'm, I'm not getting a sense of anything. I'm not trying to be prophetic or anything like that. But if someone in here wrestling with a heavy, heavy load, maybe they are doing something that you've told them to stop. Maybe they're not doing something that you've told them to do. And they've been putting it off and putting it off. Today, Father, let this be a day of salvation for them as they raise their hand and just say, yes, that's me. Yes, don't, don't, don't be shy. Raise your hand. Now, for all those hands who are up, eyes are still going to be closed. I, we're going to join together and we're just going to pray. I ask you to pray there silently in your seat as I pray aloud for those people who have raised their hands on both things. Father, we just give you glory and praise. Thank you, Father, for for allowing the atmosphere to be set where a person could just feel the freedom to just submit. Yes, I need you, Lord. I need you. And Father, I know I haven't done what you've asked me to do, but as best as I can, with your help, And with the friendship of these believers in this room, I want to take a step today. Or maybe, Father, I've been struggling a long time. Friends have tried to tell me. My circumstances have told me. And you, Lord, have told me you need to stop that. And I just had not been able to get the strength to do it. Father, I pray that those people that raised their hand, that fall in that category today, will be the date of salvation for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let's give God praise because some things just happened in here, whether you saw it or not. Things happened in here, whether you saw it or not. So the first thing that we talked about is being attentive. That's a warning that was coming in. The second thing that we want to talk about is learn by example. That's another warning. Before we go to learn by example, though, let me, let me talk a little bit about being attentive. See, see the problem, what happens when we, just the little exercise we did right there. You know, I, I pray that everybody made, made a, a move that God was impressing upon you to make. But invariably, there's probably some that did it. And I understand, because I, I, I suffer with this sometimes myself. This is the way it goes. You know, we hear the Word of God, or we read the Word of God. That, that all helps, that all goes fine. You know, we got ears to hear. We got eyes to see. We we got people around us talking to us. And all that, that happens good. But this is what happens sometimes. We feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's that nudging. That's that insistent voice in our head. And we tell ourselves to take action. But you know what happens? We do nothing. And that is one of the most miserable feelings in the world. Today we're talking about why that is so dangerous. Why this first one about being attentive to the Holy Spirit is so, so crucial. Because, you know, sometimes we tend to procrastinate. Anybody ever procrastinated? I'm glad I could renounce that today. Some days I can't get that word out. I'm doing pretty good today. Procrastinate. Anybody Anybody do that besides me? You know, you know it's good for you. You know it's something you need to do. You even make plans to do it. And then you find everything else in the world to do except that. Yeah. The writer of this, the writer here knew about that. He knew about that. The problem is this. Every time that we say no, it gets harder to say yes. And after a while, the no just comes out like nothing. We must be attentive to the now. D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody, uh, you, you recognize the name D.L. Moody, anybody? Show of hands if you recognize the name D.L. Moody, one of the greatest American evangelists in this country. He called it one of the biggest blunders of his life. It happened on October 8, 1871. He was preaching a series in Chicago, Illinois, Farewell Hall. His subject that day was, What then shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? That was his subject. He reached the end of the sermon, and he told the people gathered there that day, I'm going to give you a week to decide what you're going to do with Jesus, which is called Christ. He turned to the gentleman that was leading the music, that was singing the song, the soloist, asked him, you know, go ahead and sing, and let's close out. And this gentleman by the name of Sankey began to sing a song called Today the Savior Calls. But on that day, he didn't make it through the third verse when all of a sudden his voice was just overwhelmed by noise. You see, the great Chicago fire broke out that day. And the fire was raging right outside that hall. And the reason why they couldn't hear him singing anymore and they had to close it down was because all the noise of the engines and the bells and the people moving and the cries of the folks as Chicago had one of the major, biggest fires in its history. In the years that followed, Moody says, said on many occasions, I wish that I had called for immediate decision for Christ. I was checking with Anya, you know, she spent some time in in uh, both in Moody and, and in Chicago. And um I was kind of doing some fact checking before the service and she was able to share with me that yeah, I I've heard that story time too. And there's another bit, another twist on that story. Not only did he wish he had an immediate call for salvation on that day, but that day changed his life because you see up until then, he was satisfied with just having his toe in. He was doing some things for the Lord, but he knew God had bigger horizons and he was resisting. But after that day, he was all in. And today, our country, the kingdom benefits from the impact that that man had for the kingdom. But it all took a whole nother turn because of that day. You know, second thing is learn by example. You know, as we continue on in that book, we get to verses 8 and 9. And he says, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did. What is he talking about? They knew exactly what he was talking about. Because the writer went right for the heart, because he started to talk to them about what their ancestors had done. He talked about Moses earlier, and then he says, "Do not harden your hearts." And they knew what he was talking because the people of Israel, the ones who had been in captivity for over four hundred years, the ones who God had led out of the desert, out of the out of Egypt, raised up Moses, Moses telling Pharaoh to let my people go. Those people who had endured a series of deadly plagues. And after the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians, Pharaoh finally relented. No sooner had they been released and all these millions of people started their trek to a promised land that they didn't know where, God began to give them an immense pillar of cloud to lead them by day and a pillar of fire by night. But as soon as they left their place, Y'all know the story. Pharaoh changed his mind. And he got all his horsemen and all his chariots. And he went to get them because he didn't want them to get away. Plus they had all their stuff they gave them just to leave. And he caught up with them right in front of the Red Sea. So there they were. Couldn't go forward. Death behind them. And God performed a miracle and allowed them to pass on dry ground. Y'all remember that? Y'all know that story? But, but why did he start talking about how they provoke God and harden their hearts in rebellion? You know why? Because no sooner than they finish the victory celebration, they start complaining. They start complaining. Rather than having a grateful heart, for the astounding deliverance. Rather than having a grateful heart for the manna that rained down from heaven every day, fresh and good for that day, they complained. We don't want any more manna. And he gave them meat. But they didn't stop complaining then. You know, they, they got out in the desert of the spot and they didn't have water. And, and, and get this, folks. I'm not just talking about your regular old, oh, this is kind of uncomfortable. I'm talking about complaining arguing, backbiting, wanting to wanting to stone Moses, wanting to take over. Moses cried out to God, what am I gonna do with these people? And God told him to stretch out that staff, that same staff, and hit that rock and the water came forth. But you know what? They still wasn't satisfied. You know, they could have went into the promised land a lot earlier than they than they did. They were right up to the edge to it, of up the, up the edge of it, sent over spies. 12 of them, 10 come back with a bad report, two come back and say, we can do this. It's a promise. We've been promised. We can do this. They revolted. They, wanted, they, they, were, they were crying out. Why did you bring us out here to die? And before we get on their, on their case too, too bad, the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us because haven't we seen God move in our lives, do things that we know it couldn't have been nothing but God, Yet when faced with the next obstacle we act like we've never been delivered before. We act like he's never provided for us before. I know I do sometimes. Yes I do. And that's what this writer is challenging them and us on now today. Don't be that. Don't. I've never related harden my heart with grumbling and complaining. But you know I believe there's a direct correlation because, you see, when we start complaining against the very one that provides for us, some of our hearts starts to grow, grow cold and we start to lose our love. You know, the Egyptians got over their fear of God and the Israelites got over their trust of God. You know, their unbelief cost them everything. Their unbelief caused them to miss out on the blessings of God. The generation that came out of Israel, they doubted God to the point that they weren't able to enter the land. Those people wandered in the wilderness because they didn't have enough faith to enter the promised land. Get that now. They had enough faith to come out of Egypt. But they didn't have enough faith to go into the promised land. We have enough faith for God to deliver us out of situations. But do we have enough faith to go where he wants to take us? That's a serious question. You know... I I, I say this, and and I don't don't apologize if it sounds a little harsh because that's the way it's written, you know. And I say it because I know for a fact it's so easy, it is so easy for us to come into a comfortable building like this and just kind of go through the motions. We can hide so easily, and our heart can just shrivel up. The first warning was to be attentive. The second was to learn by example. The third one is to follow instructions. Follow instructions. Now, there's two parts to this particular one. The first part, as we see it in the next scripture, reads like this See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So, the first part, we have to guard our hearts. This world is out to take our hearts away from us. At Man's School on Wednesday morning, we've been staying in this for a long time. Well, we believe that a lot of us men, we have lost our hearts and we have just settled to just walk through life in slow motion, just taking anything to come our way. And that is not the God that we serve. And that is not the way He designed us to be. And that is not where He want us to be. And we have to rise up and we have to fight back we have to guard our hearts from the, from the fiery darts of the enemy. You know, you say, okay, what, what do you mean by this sinful, unbelieving heart? I, I can tell you exactly what it means. It means this is what happens when we have a sinful, unbelieving heart. We have a heart that stands off from God. We have a heart that does not believe God. We have a heart that will not trust God. We have a heart that will not follow God. And it happens little by little. Day by day, moment by moment, month by month. A lot of times it just happened all at once, but we just started to compromise a little here and push back a little here and refuse to cooperate here with the Holy Spirit. And we just little by little by little and we find ourselves and that's the description of who we are. But today is a day of salvation because the second part of that last warning is simply encourage one another. Because that's where the verse go, where the passage goes next. It says, "But encourage one another. How often? How often? How often? Daily, as long as it is called." Did that word again? Today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In another translation, it doesn't say, "But encourage." It said, "Exhort." Exhort. Is the same Greek word. It has. It's, it's in the family with that word Paraclete. I know many of you know that word Paraclete. It's the word that in John fourteen sixteen stands for the Holy Spirit that comes alongside, and that's what we should be with each other for each other. We should be encouragers. The encouragers not to say hey, just do a good job, but to look somebody in the face and say I see something in you, and I don't believe it's of God, and I don't believe it's going to bring you any good. And out of love for you, I just need to let you know. I know that sounds real touchy-filly, getting somebody all up in your face, but I can tell you I've had personal experience with that. I've had some men that looked at me in the eye and said, You know, Derek, something is not right with you. And yeah, it didn't feel good, and I didn't like it. But you know what? I thank God for them, because where would I be if somebody didn't love me enough to just look me in the eye and tell me the truth about what they see? That's what we are called to do, my brothers and sisters. We are called to encourage one another daily, daily. We need to do that because sin is deceitful. The truth of the matter is it starts to just kind of creeping up on you, and we think we got it all together. We think I'm coming to church. You know, that's why I love Chris and Cheryl so much. As they shared their story, they owned it. I don't know if you heard that part when they said, you know, things were starting to get better, but there was one thing that was wrong, and they needed to address that. And they just didn't sit there and think about it and put it off and said, okay, we're going to wait until we get a little money. You know, Chris works hard. You know, I've been walking with them for a while. Didn't know how they was going to make it, you know, but he was working every day. He could have said, well, I've got to save some money. You know, I don't have enough money. But they didn't. They took action. They didn't wait, and that was because not only myself, but other people in their forever family, as they call it, were willing enough to say, hey. And they, they didn't do it out in the open in front of everybody. These are the kind of conversations you have one-on-one. You know, they're more difficult to have that way. It's easy to stand up here and say, you wrong, and you all do this, but get, 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 get personal with someone, and you have to see that reaction. And that's what they've done, and it's a beautiful thing. I want to close with this one's last story. Dr. C.I. Schofield, he's the author of that Schofield Reference Bible that many of you are probably familiar with. I don't know if you knew it or not, but he worked as a lawyer before he was converted. And the story goes like this. One day, another Christian lawyer by the name of Tom McPheeters called on Schofield in his office. And he was about to leave, and he suddenly turned around. Schofield was standing And he looked right in his face and he said, For a long time I've been wanting to ask you a question. But so far I've been afraid to ask, but I'm going to ask it today. Schofield said to him, I never thought you were afraid. What is your question? McPeters looked at him and said, I want to ask why you are not a a Christian. And he did it courteously. There was a pause of silence because that question came so unexpectedly. And um, Schofield was a little staggered by it. But he thought about it and he answered. He said, you know, I, I think, doesn't the Bible say something about drunkards having no place in heaven? You know, I'm a hard drinker. And Peter said, you haven't answered my question, Schofield. I asked you why you are not a Christian Schofield tried again he said well I've always been a nominal Episcopalian you know but I do not recall ever having been shown just how to be a Christian I don't know how Ephetus had his answer he took out his New Testament from his pocket he took a chair sat down and he began to read passage after passage from the word of God, showing God's way of salvation, plain and clear. Then he looked at Schofield again. And he said, will you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior? Schofield said, I'm going to think about it. The feeder said, no, you're not. You've been thinking about it all your life. Why don't you sell it right now? Will you believe on Christ and be saved? Schofield went silent for a moment. It was in deep thought. And he lifted his head and he simply said, I will. Those that serve in communion, please make your way up front. We've had an altar call earlier, but I suspect you know, we can't have too many of those. I was thinking about, okay, how would you wrap this up? And sometime last night, early this morning, I don't know when, and I wish I could tell you the details of how it, how it all tied into the first service. God gave me a scripture that he said just simply share this with the people Romans ten nine. if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved I used to always look at that for just those that first time believers but you know in light of this message and all this happened today, the way our first service was just kind of interrupted, but yet people stayed and prayed and prayed for one another and partook, you know, in Holy Communion and we sung praise songs in the middle of that storm. You know, I, this is more than just for first-time salvation. Because if we're not careful... Jesus can slip off the throne of our hearts sometimes. And we can find ourselves living life as a Christian, as a member of a church, as a member of a community group, as a person that helps people, that a person that loves on people. We can find ourselves living life knowing deep in our heart that Jesus is not Lord. He can save us from that condition today. Will you stand? Those who feel a need to pray, please come to these altars. If you need someone to pray with you, just raise your hand. Otherwise, communion is available. What a way to seal it this Sunday service celebrating just how serious our Savior was about saving us. Because on that night that he was betrayed, he took that bread, broke it, gave it to them, told them to eat. It's his body that was given. After the supper was over, he took the cup, blessed it, gave it to them, and told them to take drink represents the covenant, the new covenant. So let us respond as the Lord leads.